Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 243 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I'll talk to Sean Hanitani of Analgesic Productions about the action-adventure title Anodyne 2 Return to Dust. But before we delve into that, let's see what else is under Kane Rince's vast umbrella. We have Kane Rince itself, of course. This coming Monday, after the release of this episode of Sausage Factory. Uh, they'll be covering Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zero. Although, if you've got a Patreon subscription, you probably listened to that already. More about that later. Then on Wednesday, we have Sound of Play, a podcast that celebrates the scores of video games. That is, of course, the musical scores. And on Thursday, we have two people called Ryan inventing games based on the ideas fed to them by their audience. It is most excellent. Do check that out on Thursdays. Of course, on Fridays, it's the Sausage Factory, but you already knew that because you're listening to me right now. Go you! Now, if you want to see archives of all of those podcasts, including the one I listen to now, pop along to canandrince.com, where not only you find archives of the podcast, but also a lively forum. Yes, I know! In 2019, a forum that still functions. Amazing. There's also blog posts, videos and all sorts of other things. So do pop along to canyonmints.com to find out more about what else we produce. There's also a Twitch stream at the moment. It's a weekly thing um, every Sunday at 8pm British summertime or Greenwich Mean Time, depending on the time of year. If you pop along to twitch.com, sorry, twitch.tv <laughs> and you do a search for Cane and Rinse, you'll find us. Uh, now the uh, it's a variety show, so we sort of do a variety of <laughs> that's why it's a variety show, random game from random platform. Um, the, the time of recording this now uh, was I actually did a stream for Chasm on the Nintendo Switch. It's also available on the PS4 and Windows PC. But uh, yeah, really fun, beautiful game. It's a uh, Metroidvania, but uh, really fun. A little bit tough though. Anyway. Now, if you want to chuck us some coin, you can. 
if you go to patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse you'll find our page and there you can actually subscribe to us for a measly one US dollar a month. That's right, just one US dollar grants you access to extra content. Yes, on top of all the stuff I've been talking about already, you can also get extended versions of Kane and Rinse and you get them one week early. Hence, talking about the early edition of Kane and Rinse, talking about Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zero. If you can get it for a week early. Do you, do you see how this works? Anyway, so um, yeah, just chuck us a coin and uh, you also get. Um, platform exclusives at the moment the one behind the paywall is the Amiga one which I actually do feature in for good or ill and uh, yeah it's great so if you want to do that that'll be lovely we'll be most appreciative and finally well that's just me isn't it talking to Sean about this game which I did in the past I think you know how this goes now I introduced myself which is a bit weird um, Chris do you want to take over now from the past? Thanks. Sean! Hello. Who are you, and what do you do? I am a game designer at this small two-person studio, Analgesic Productions, and when I work on games, I do the programming. I also make the music and sound effects. I do level design, world design, a little bit of writing. And then outside of that, I handle the business and like marketing outreach and all that fun stuff. And uh, tend to work on these like narrative, story-driven kind of adventures that have very this kind of experimental like uh, DNA in them. Yeah. Also very funny. Yeah. I found that some of those writing, you go, wait, did he just say that? Or whoever I'm talking to, like, it's just oh, yeah. like this pathos. In if that the right word, probably isn't, but that's what I get from it. Um, it just made me smile. Not barely yeah, lots, the... but sorry. Oh no, no. I was. I. I should mention for the listeners that I work with Marina Kitaka on mm-hmm. these games. And yes. Marina. Marina can't be here today, but if I say the word the name Marina, I'm referring to her, mm-hmm. and she does a lot of the writing and the art, and I think she's also responsible for most of the jokes. So. Right. So if anything was really funny, it was probably her. She's better. She has done stand-up comedy before. Ah. Yeah. There it is. It's just, yeah, just made me smile just most of the time. When I'm playing through Anodyne 2 Return to Dust, which is the game we're here to talk about, everyone. Um, yeah, it's uh, it just made me smile throughout. Even when I was getting through some of the puzzles, I just sort of like, it made them easier. Not because they were easier to do, but just the whole atmosphere of the game made it less frustrating. Odd, but yeah. Uh, well, it's a very like joyful game. Hmm, it is full of joy, despite the things that you're doing, which is actually quite dark. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, next question then. How did you start making flashy, lighty video games? I started... I played around with mods for, like, Cave Story and a few other kind of, like, late 2000s indie creators, like, mods for their games, and I didn't really get very far. I learned a bit of programming in high school, and then in college, I found a uh, a game making software for that made flash games, and I kind of made some small games of that. And then eventually, I wanted to make something bigger, so I uh, started working on Anodyne by myself, and then eventually collaborated with Marina. 
And that was about seven and a, seven years ago. Jeez. Yeah, it's best not to think about it too much. But yeah. so you uh, came from the mod community originally. Yeah, no, I wasn't very deep into it. I kind of like downloaded. I kind of would like go on the forums and read about how people modified stuff, but I never really got very far. So like, I wouldn't say I had friends in the mod community. It was more like it was kind of like a lurker who also just messed around with stuff. And was that basically to just look under the hood and say, well, this is fun, but I could make it better? Or is it just like, let's make something else out of this thing that I've got in front of me? Yeah, it was mostly just like, oh, can I make some fun level with this like games engine? Um, and it was pretty hard. So I, think I didn't really make anything substantial. Right. But at least you sort of dipped your toe into the water and then from that yeah. it sort of sprouted on forth. So you can program and, and obviously... Um, other things like music and and stuff. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's a fine start. And again, many many of the greatest developers out there actually started simply just making, I don't know, do mods. Oh, so my really. Yeah, yeah, here, yeah. But uh, it all stems back from there, I believe. Maybe even earlier, but that's the most famous. So, as uh, Analgesic Productions is a thing. And they create things, obviously, in, firstly in, in the form of anodyne, and of course anodyne too, returned to dust, which we're talking about today. What do you believe is, as a creative force, is your biggest influence? Marina and I's biggest influence? Yeah, yeah, just as a, as a, as a team. As a, what do you think is the thing that you gravitate towards more than ever and find yourself being reflected in the things you make? I guess. Let me think for a second. It's a tough one um, to answer. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one to th- un- think on my feet. Let's see. Well, I guess I kind of would have to speak sort of abstractly, but I think there's a big influence from perhaps like the literary world of kind of crafting particular stories based on personal kind of the way we personally respond to like real world issues and trying to work through those ideas. Um, real world issues are person level issues. So like real world issues being like, uh, you know, some kind of political phenomenon going on or personal level being like something relating to our families or whatever. And then, you know, we like to think of ways to kind of express those in these like game like settings. So I think that's a vein that that's a kind of like a strand that runs through all of our collaborations, um, and that, that they all have in common. Uh, but I think if you go more concrete from there, it kind of goes more towards the level of like particular works and games. Okay, I mean it's yeah. I, it definitely does show that <clears throat> from what I've played of Anodyne Two anyway, uh, it's, it's, it's the basis of my own um, assessment, is uh, people and characters really matter. Um, and the things they do and the things, the, the things that drive them and their neuroses and how they interact with others seems to be quite important. Um, yeah. And uh, that's, that's, the, that's the mark of really sort of uh, talented writers and... and and authors is that yeah it's, it's the people dummy That's, yeah thank you, know, you. Uh-huh. because 
Um, as a as a roleplay gamer myself, um, I find some of the best sessions I've ever played isn't really about the monsters that people beat up. It's the interactions they had with the people in the world and with each other. And that's what drives a lot of what you've done here is, again, right. you know, it's because that's what really not ultimately matters, but it matters quite a lot. And um, it's definitely reflective of what you're, you're creating here. So, yes, I, I can I can vouch for what you said there. Thank you. So next question, then. Can these questions are getting harder, by the way, deliberately. This is how this show is structured. Stru- 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 it starts off easy and then gets harder, just like if you have a video game, really. Level four. <laughs> so um, this one might be hard to answer because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Not because it's like abusive or anything like that. No, no, no. But it's really, well, you'll, you'll understand when I say the question. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? There's some like indie contemporaries that I really like mm-hmm. what they're doing. Um, yeah. uh, let me let me just go through my internal list. Uh, there's also people on the AAA side, but I think maybe I don't. They don't really need to mention them. Um, <laughs> uh, for the indie side. I guess if I could speak, it's kind of hard to pick one person, but there are like certain strands of like single independent developers who are like doing work that is like incorporating, it's not necessarily like super realistic settings, but maybe they're, you know, using certain ideas and themes related to their real life. So they're, maybe they're like, <clears throat> their experience of like immigration or being an immigrant or like thinking about that in context of the world or like, maybe... um, the makers of this war of mine, for example. Oh yeah. I haven't played that, but like, yeah. I think those, yeah, like those sorts of games, I think that are, you know, they're not really about like numbers and then maybe they might be about numbers and game design, but they're also like, kind of motivated by this other kind of like personal or like political motivation. Um, like an example that I like give a lot is, have you ever played Luca? No, no. Yeah. So it's a, (coughs) I guess it didn't do that well um, from what the developers said, Uh, but it's a game that's, you know, it's made by a small team. It's a lot of themes around religion and like, I think gender and stuff. It has a very unique atmosphere, right? And you can kind of tell when playing these games that you know the the developer does have a very vested interest in like pushing games to a very weird space. It's not it's not just like oh, you know, you know they like games, but they also kind of just also want to make a million dollars or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that sort of thing. And then there's a lot of like uh, creators whose names I can't remember, but just doing interesting like personal work um you know so those those people basically sound like 
make games that reflect their own personal experiences and also the world around them. Yeah, and not necessarily on a one-to-one level. Like it's like some some of the games are recalling like life experiences, but sometimes it's like they're synthesizing those experiences into like something that's more communicative towards like uh, people playing. Okay. Okay. Right. So last question. End of the first half, last question. We're almost there. But we'll ask this one last one. I have to ask it because we're talking about video games on a podcast. So here it is. What are you playing right now? Mm, what am I playing right now? I'm playing Bar- Baroque for the Wii uh, and Paper Mario on the N64. Right now I'm actually back at uh, my childhood home, so there's some like old games and stuff here that I've kind of been trying to rush through before heading back to Japan. Wow. Um, Paper Mario on the N64. Nice. Paper, yeah, it's it's interesting, but uh, I mean, we can talk about it if you want to, but like Baroque is more interesting. Okay. You Baroque? No, I'm not familiar with it. It's on the Wii, is it? Okay. What is it? It's on the Wii, it's on the Saturn. It's a very like if you come at it from like a traditional games review angle, it's a very bad game, but it's atmospherically unique. It's kind of this You've played like a mystery dungeon game before? I just, yes. So like Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. So it's kind of has that kind of feel. Okay. But it's like a third person game, third person like Dark Souls. It's, but it's like the combat is pretty like simple. Um, so you're going down this like tower that's randomly generated and there's a lot of like this weird like pseudo sci-fi new agey religious like dark themes to it that are very okay. hard to like figure out. Um, and it just... And all the all the ways those things combine kind of create a very unique, like memorable atmosphere. And maybe the, you know, the story isn't maybe the most clear, yet, but I think, you know, that kind of um, artistic direction is like pretty rare in the realm of like bigger budget games. So that was kind of a unique thing. Uh, am I playing anything else? I think that's. Yeah, I think that's mostly it right now. It's kind of hard to find time just because, like, post-release is a lot of, like, emailing and looking at bugs and community management. I understand. I mean, actually, I've had an adjunct to this question because of that reason, what you just described. I know in the midst of releasing uh, Anodyne 2, Return to Dust, so you want to, um, you know, you're in the midst of that. But when the dust has settled, no no pun intended... (laughs) Sorry, I had to. I didn't really, but I did anyway. Um, what do you plan to play? Because it's like a for for to to give you an aid, like oh, I'll have a look at that when 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 things are a little bit quieter. Yeah, I've been wanting to play Pathologic too. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, I've been wanting to play that for a while, and I just purchased my first gaming computer. I actually don't own a gaming computer. I have like a like an entry level GPU thing. Um, so I got my first gaming laptop, and I might grab Pathologic 2, um, mm. because it looks like nuts in the best way. Um, yeah. 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 It's uh, very hard in here, I hear, but, yeah. It's some there's of the a lot to hor- learn. There. Yeah, some of the best horror games are difficult. The the jump scare ones are, yeah, but it's the ones that actually are actually objectively difficult as well, actually. Turn it into a proper experience in my experience, in my humble opinion. Yeah, that's what I've been meaning to like go and 
finish. Also, Hypnospace Outlaw. Okay. I've been meaning to play more of that. Have you played it? No, you're adding to my pile of stuff that I need to play. <laughs> Thanks, Sorry. Sean. Thanks. Hypnospace. Should I describe them or? Go for it. Go for it. It's all right. Okay. Yeah. So Hypnospace time. Outlaw is. I think it's in this like it's in this '90s esque like internet era, but it's sort of like a reimagining of it as if it was much more similar to kind of the utopian views people had of the internet in like the '80s and '70s. Mm. Something like that, and like. Is this where you, you take it? control of other beings for the people? Almost getting confused. Mm, no, you. Don't care, you're, come, you're kind of like an online moderator, so you you work for this big Amazon like company oh, and right, like right and like find violations on websites and stuff. Okay. Um, and I think it gets a lot more complex than that. I didn't get very far, which is why I want to play more. But the premise is pretty cool because it's like you know you're exploring this a lot of these recollections of the 90s. Like, the, the the creator of the game, you know, they ran a lot of old software to create the art for the game. So, okay. in a way, it's also kind of a historical game, I guess, because you're looking at some of the visual aspects. Yeah, some of that stuff is really, it's really hard to look at now. You know, when yeah. you see, like, sort of ads and stuff from the 90s, you go, how do we not get blind from looking at this stuff? It's so bad. But, you know, know, it's just, we didn't know any better. I mean, just learning, just learning. And uh, also there was a sensibility and style of that era, which we, you know, we don't have now. We have very different sensibilities now, though we know it. We're told every day, every minute. Um, so, yeah, and some of that old software, you go, yeah, I don't miss that. It was, you know, at the time, it was, it was all we had. But now it's like, you know, just... <laughs> No, we don't. Right. You don't need ICQ anymore. Just no, 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 we don't. Anyway, okay, we'll have to check that one out. See, look, pile of stuff. Yeah, awesome. Right, let's end the first half. Let's move on to the second half of the show, where we delve deep into Anodyne to return to dust. Sean, before we do delve deep into Anodyne 2 Return to Dusk, can you tell us 
what on earth is it, in your view? So, in my view, it's kind of a... It's, so, on one level, it's a story about this uh, person, Nova, and kind of her growing to reconsider the way and the... Reconsider the sort of, like, societal, like, structures she was born into and who has control over her and reconsidering that idea. But on a gameplay level, you can also see it as a game where you're exploring this 3D world um, and kind of these people in the 3D world are infected by the sickness, which kind of exaggerates their desires and, like, exaggerates their negative emotions. And so you have to shrink into them and you enter these, like, 2D landscapes inside of them these little 2D Zelda-esque dungeons, and you kind of go around through there, solve some puzzles and fight stuff, and, like, talk to people. And through the process, you heal these characters from their dust infection. And so the game kind of has that rough uh, pattern at first, and the game kind of progressively complicates it and starts to ask about, you know, like, oh, what is the dust and what is cleaning and... um the main character herself starts to learn a lot more about the world. But that's kind of the initial pattern, is shrinking into people in 3D, cleaning them in 2D, and then seeing what happens. Yeah. So it's pretty much an adventure. It did remind me a little bit of one of my favourite Zelda games of all time, which is the Minish Cap on the Game Boy Color. What was it Game Boy Advance? Game Boy yeah. Advance. A little bit. A little bit in that mechanic. Other than that, it's, it's, very, it's very, very different. But the shrinking, that was really it. Everything else is entirely different, of course. Um, yeah. But that was my immediate reaction when I read about it and started experiencing it. Oh, yeah, it's like Minish Cap. Oh, wait, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyway, it's still one of my favourite Zelda games. Um, but uh, so, first, um, and very, uh, also, I put about the, the experience of the game and how it's, sort of structured and how, how things work. But um, I found, so when you're in the inside the person and the, the whole game changes from a 3D action-adventure sort of perspective to a 2D one, um, we'll come to that later on, but um, I found that once you understand what the puzzles are, dexterity takes a core sort of component. There's a core component of how to solve these. Um, how have you balanced this versus the mental exertion of solving these puzzles? What what kind of... what have you, How have you found overcoming that or if you felt you needed to? I think the first thing we did was kind of remove... Well, we gave... A, we had, like, three levels of removing the... of making the dexterity, co like, component a little bit more manageable, which is just to have, like, health options. Uh, because I think if you play it, there's, like, regular health, there's double health, there's, like, invincibility. And if you play regular health, you do have to be a little bit more careful and more precise with how you move. Um, but if you, you know, you don't play these games all the time, but you have played some games, you might choose double health because that'll, like, help. You know, you'll still get hurt, but it's okay to kind of not be as precise. Um, but on the more design size, the, there is dexterity to some of the combat and stuff, um, but 
it's never exactly the point to like set up these long series of like challenges that you master, but more about creating kind of a like a texture of feeling as you're interacting and playing the game. So like maybe there's a slight bit of like combat challenge here or there, but also you'll be able to heal pretty fast afterwards. So um, it's not like you have to master, you know, 10 successive difficult rooms. Um, but on the room level, I would say that, you know, I think it kind of works that you can, in some of the tougher rooms, you can kind of make a plan about how you want to move and then do that. And it usually should work. There's not too much stuff like combat in Anodyne 2 where you're like, you know, you can have a strategy, but you very much have to always be moving and like trying to like time things correctly. Um, so I think by not making the focus too much on like combat, we, you know, there's still an interesting dexterity requirement, but it's not like, um, it's not too inaccessible, I guess you could say. Like there's a few rooms I'm sure you've played that have like, you know, there's some enemies moving around in there, but, uh, since you're encountering them on like a one room by one room basis, usually it's not too bad. And then, and then oftentimes, sometimes you can just brute force the rooms by kind of just using the invincibility frames. Um, so we kind of have a lot of different sorts of ways of dampening the difficulty, but still kind of keeping the texture interesting. Texture is a word I say a lot. I don't, I haven't really explicitly defined it, but it's sort of like the feeling of playing a game, you know, having some kind of friction as you're going through. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I, 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 this wasn't a complaint; it's just an observation. I thought, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh yeah. I just love the idea of, you know, having to like, okay, we're gonna. F- how do I do this? Oh, I've got to do that. Oh, that's not gonna be easy. That's a f- wonderful conversation to have in one's head when you know it's like I don't know what to do, but it's gonna not gonna be easy, and that's great because yeah. otherwise it's it just becomes a bit. I hate to use the word dull. And uh, unless you really want to go one way or the other, you know what I mean? It's, it, it can either, and that can be also quite sort of one-dimensional. So, no, I just love the fact that you've got this, this careful sort of mix of, well, you can do all these things with a, with a vacuum cleaner, which is great. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, you can't, you can only do certain things. And also it's all orthogonal. Everything's, most of the puzzles, yes, they are pretty much, Orthogonal, and you've got to line up those shots because you've only got one. Typically, let's not go there, but this is, no. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, yeah, it's just its just lovely. I just love the idea of, uh, you know, armed, you armed and uh, have vacuum, will will travel. It's great. And boy, do you travel. <laughs> yeah. So, I want to ask then, um, we've hinted at it, but Anodyne 2 Return to Dust does have two environments, everyone. Um, basically, there's the 2D environment, which is only exists in the world of um, miniatures or micro world. When you you, you uh, enter, usually a person, and you go in there to actually remove the infection of these nano things that are actually causing them harm. Allegedly, let's not go into the details there. Uh, and then generally the world, other than the outside world or the real world, if you like, is a 3D environment. Um, and the, I find, you know, the 3D environment is quite 
sort of platform heavy. So it's a 3D platform in a traditional sense of like uh, um, Ratchet and not Ratchet and Clank. Yeah, Ratchet and Clank is not bad, not bad example. But I was thinking of something more contemporary, like of an N64 era, which we talked about earlier. Um, Mario 64, maybe, or indeed um, Banjo Kazooie. That was what I was thinking. Oh yeah. Um, how have you found working in those two environments? Have you found yourself almost having to play make two games? Uh. I think in like the, you do have to think a little bit differently about designing those spaces, and it feels like making one game, but um, like in the three D environments, you're a lot more focused on like making a interesting landscape to kind of drive across. It kind of feels like, you know an interesting, like, natural, like, landmark in real life, like, with some interesting things to look at, like, characters or, like, places, but um, that's more about making, you know, a place that feels like kind of a mysterious island and then thinking of where should you place characters or, like, where should you place landmarks to help people navigate. Um, But in the 2D aspect, the design problems are a little bit easier. They're more about... They're more about picking like a set of like gameplay mechanics or a set of characters that can kind of convey certain ideas about the main character, the character you're shrinking into. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, it is. I guess it can feel a little bit separate working on the 3D and the 2D, um, because the 3D and 2D are sort of like dealing with their own sets of design problems. Um, so there is a little bit of like context shifting going between the two but it's not much different from like say how you would approach designing the overworld in a 2d zelda and like the, the dungeons in a 2d zelda they, they sort of just have they have like some similar problems like you know pacing in the overall game in length but uh they also come with their own separate set of problems it just happens to be that one of them uses you know 3d art the other one uses 2d art yes yes um it's just you know also having to manage the camera and that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. it's uh has always uh, i mean it's just largely been solved these days but back in the day uh, the analog stick and the n64 again going back to that it's like what do we use this for you know and how do we hold this thing it's yeah. all, all trying to you know figure it out but we know it we understand it now i say we do but we're way better now than we did back then but uh you know all good things start from somewhere so, the the overworld in Anodyne Two: Return to Dust is quite large um, and quite yes. expansive. Um, how do you prevent the player from becoming overwhelmed with choices to what to do next? Uh, I think we keep the main we keep the the main goals of the game pretty minimal. So in Anodyne Two. The main progression items are just these like magical cards, and usually you at first you get them by cleaning people, and so it's quite obvious. It's like oh, I need to find four people and clean them, but eventually you start to find them kind of hidden in different places. Like some of them are hidden in chests in 2D, some of them are hidden in chests in 3D, and so that pattern's kind of broken. But even as the world expands, so at first you start out in like kind of this entire hub world like city but eventually you go into like these like 
blue mountainous valleys. Um, even though it feels very big, there's actually not that many separate 3D areas. And um, you always sort of know what's left for you to do, which is just to find more cards. So there's not a lot of... There might be different places like pulling at your attention to explore, but eventually you realize that the number of unique areas in 3D are quite small, and I think that makes things more manageable. Um, and since there's not a bunch of like parallel goals point, pulling at your attention, like the goals are pretty like, you know, find the card. So that makes it a little bit less, uh, not as much need for a lot of like explicit like quest log or management stuff. Um, there did need to be a few like NPCs that give hints, and like later in the game when the world gets really big, there's like even icons on the map. But um. You know, because there's relatively not the game is not like packed with an open world level, open world game level of content. I think that makes things feel a little bit more like you're not like doing one thing, but also stressing out about having to fulfill this quest line elsewhere to like get the magic armor or something. Yeah, and this is exactly one of the draw out from you is that. Yes, you presented this open world, and yes, you can go all over the place if you so wish, but the drivers and goals you have um, are well, don't suffer from the Skyrim syndrome, where you pull the map out and there's like a, a great sort of almost blanket of little icons going, we can do all that. Gotcha. It's like you're just, you know, crippled by, um, by choice. Right. And, uh, you know, the open worlds are fine, but you have a job to do in Anodyne 2 Return to Dust. You've got a job, and you will do it. Otherwise, it, there's nothing more to do, really. The, the content will not present itself to you. You need simply follow that breadcrumb. Even though it's not strictly there, you will find it, and it's relatively straightforward. I just, you know, open worlds and, uh, are, are fine, but if there's no goal to them or it becomes uh, aimless, then a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people get turned away because they... You know, they have no drive. They've got no, no pointer. And people love, you know, they don't want to be dragged around by the nose. That's tedious as well. Right. At least, you know, there's that fine line. Again, going back to my role-playing stuff, as a DM, I'm sitting there going, am I railroading these people, my players, or am I actually nudging them on gently to go, maybe they should check that out, rather than talk to the barmaid for an hour. You know, yeah. it's, it's just one of those things. So, yeah, I just wanted to, because it's, it's a... It's a common design problem, and uh, I think you've overcome it. I just want to explain how you oh, did that. Thank you. Last question, then. I, we can't not to ask. I could not ask this question. It's not. Please don't think it's superficial. I don't think it is, and I want to delve into it a little bit because it, it would be wrong not to. Um, the visual styling it shows two forms of presentation, which actually were contemporary to one another. You may not believe it, but if you think about it, the kind of 2D environment is a halfway between the NES and the SNES, or however you pronounce it, the Super Nintendo. The 8-bit and 16-bit eras, I think it more leans towards 8 than 16, but it's definitely there. And similarly, there were games in 3D that existed in that time as well, with the fledgling of the 32-bit era, for example, Little Big Planet, maybe not Little Big, Little Big Adventure, I think that's the one that immediately springs to mind. Where the kind of visual styling that you've got going there is is very similar. Um, 
Why was this pursued? And more importantly, what have you done to make Anodyne 2 Return to Dust more palatable to current game players? In other words, what conceits, what tricks have you done to make it so it looks like from the era, but really, really doesn't play or... Yeah. Or, or, or you know, what what visual tricks have you done to say oh, it kind of looks like this? It kind this is probably what you remember how it looked like, but it really, really doesn't. What, what have you done? Yeah. So something that I realized when I was making this game called All Our Asia's is that um, it's pretty easy to pick a low-fi, uh, like a low-poly style, and then also like make the game display fewer pixels so it looks a little bit more chunky. And that kind of gets people to, um, I guess, fondly remember old 3D, even though it may not really look like that. Um, so I think because people have played a lot of like new HD 3D games and then they maybe have memories of older ones, you know, they do... Like I do as well, but you kind of misremember how they look, and um, I feel like Anodyne 2's 3D art is kind of a realization of like what people misremember, which is like yes, there is like the textures are uh, not as um, well defined; they're maybe a little blurrier or a little like less lower resolution. Uh, the characters do have less polygons, but at the same time, nowadays. You know, we can use that as a deliberate artistic choice, um, a way of kind of utilizing visual abstraction to kind of make an atmosphere more powerful. Uh, uh, and it's also, and so then, you know, it's a very useful art style on its own, but it also has this bonus of kind of like, you know, people can be sort of, open to it I guess because it feels it feels familiar even though it is not exactly uh, it's not accurate I guess you could say um, but it, and I think the same kind of goes for the 2D sections as well so those I think we were thinking about the Super Nintendo and the Game Boy Advance um, like you know I think we, we probably have more like sprites on the screen or whatever than the, it could originally handle but um, we're kind of inspired by a lot of the creative like uses of pixel art from back then, and then Marina kind of does this really amazing like spin on it that's inspired by a lot of like nature illustrations or like microscopic scientific photos or like body an- anatomy. Um, and that also has a similar, you know, it's like people see, oh, it's pixel art, you know, but it's also very unique in its own way. So it's not like people can feel connected to it, but it's not visually stale because no one is actually doing anything like it. Um, even though it is pixel art, even though it's like low poly. Uh, and there's other like things too related to like the benefits of like game production um, that I can get into, but that's kind of like the main motivations for the stylistic choices. Yeah. I just love the, I can use I use the word again, conceit. Maybe it's not the right word, but it's this this. Oh yeah, I, I remember games running like this, like MDK for the 3D stuff, and like, oh yeah. But actually, if you tried to run it like it's because it's very very fluid. Very, yeah. it, the, the right the, the frame rate is really high, really high, and um, and there's no flickering of any kind, and there's no pop up of any kind. 
because you know that's not how it doesn't need to do that anymore. It looks yeah. like this, but it does. You know, your computers now are just our phones, for pity's sake, are more right. powerful, many times more powerful than the computers we used back in the nineties. Of course they are. Of course they are. So, and that's what I loved about it because there's. Oh, I remember playing this games like this back in the day. It was great. Game like Sacrifice, for example. But you play it now, like, uh, what's why is it? Why is everything so slow and flickery? Because that's how it was, um, and because you don't remember it that way. Because why would you? You would always remember the bad bits. You just you don't remember most of the stuff on on SNES or SNES or whatever, um, right. flickering like hell. You know, of course you don't. You don't remember Secret of Mana looking like that. That's why they re-released it again, right? You know, it's 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 these remasters that I know we're just fixing all the memory leaks and everything because. We didn't know any better, you know. It's, it's, yeah. That's all they had back then. Whereas, you know, it's, it's an old joke of the memory leaks now. Is you you don't discover them until you know, three hours after playing. Like, why is it all slowing down? Oh wait, uh-huh. <laughs> because your machine's got sixteen gigabytes of RAM. It's like it's going to take a while. Eventually, it'll, it'll, yeah, this is going to take a while. But eventually, I'll, I'll I'll bring your machine to its knees. Eventually, um, so fascinating. But uh, whereas back then there was no memory, hardly any at all, so right. they, they would really hug their heads. So, Anodyne Two: Return to Dust by Analgesic, Analgesic Productions. Yes, uh, it's out now on Windows, PC, Mac, and Linux via Steam. Steam, um, yeah, GOG, yeah. Humble, G-O-G, Humble, yeah, uh, Cartridge, and HIO. Yeah, yeah. Could I ask, what's the name of the? The where's analgesic productions come from? What's where's that? I've got to, uh, we didn't actually think through it super hard. It was kind of like Anodyne came first, the game, and then we needed to form a company. Oh, okay, to, like get paid, and so analgesic is like a synonym for Anodyne, sort of. Uh, but it's kind of funny because like our games are pretty like, and and so, they're like kind of like soothing to play, but. They're very much the opposite of like numbing, I guess, which is no. what analgesic can do. It does, yeah, yeah. That's so it's kind of like, I don't know, the name's kind of goofy, but it is like, I don't know, it, it works well as a company name, so. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, it's all right. I just, um, we have some very strange name developers on the show, and uh, um, Jay actually emailed me and he said, you know, just ask him. What? It's rude. Said, no, no, no. I just want to know. Oh, yeah, no, it's fine. It's funny. It's a funny name. <laughs> anyway, Sean, it's been fantastic having you on. Yeah, thank you. And th- thank you very much. It's been wonderful listening to you talk about uh, history and the uh, development of Anodyne 2, Return to Dust. So, again, thank you very much for coming on. I do wish you the very yeah. best of luck with the release of this and your future endeavours, whatever they may be. And, of course, you're more than welcome to come back to chat about any future games you've made we have had a lot of return guests because the show has been going around for you know quite a while and i'm happy to say that you know developers said oh i've made this thing really yeah because could, could talk about that's a new thing oh okay so hey, come on so yeah we have all sorts of people it's wonderful so and the invitation is extended to you in the event that you make something new which no doubt you will but uh yeah thanks very much well thank you 